AJ Jones. Yes, sir. How are you? I am well. <laughs> I always think of inappropriate things to say, but I'm so proud of my maturity that I never say them. That's a real shocker. <laughs> um, I have a question for you. How does a week pass and we can't think of anything that we did? You can't think of anything that we did? Well, I can think of highlights like the new Star Wars trailer that came out. Yes. Very excited about the new Star Wars trailer. And I can think of the fact that we hosted a birthday party for an eight-year-old. <laughs> yes. Whereby we, I mean you. Yes. And the I was going to say, lots you're of, very generous with your we. I'm pretty sure you left. <laughs> I did. I you left did. to go to the airport. It's true. To pick up some friends of ours. It's true. Friends who are sitting in this room. They are. Friends with exceptional accents. Yes. Friends, would you like to say hello? Hello. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> I felt so much pressure in that moment to have an exceptional accent. But you do listen to it. <laughs> oh, thanks. Your silky dulcet tones. Mm, lovely. I'm not sure they're best displayed by hello. I'm not it's, it's not a very elaborate word. Right. Yes, but as you speak, more of your accent will come out. I'll be interested to know if my accent de-Americanizes in this episode. Because you're chatting to us. Mm -hmm. No doubt the accent police on Twitter will tell me. I don't have a lot of hope for that, darling, because we went back to Scotland for 10 days and you came back and you're still as milky white American as you ever were. <laughs> milky white? <laughs> like the milky bar kid who's strong and tough. <laughs> that will only appeal to a certain segment of our podcast audience, namely the Brits. Oh. But you are British. Um, I was thinking the other day, the thing we all in this room have in common is we all met in Toronto. True. Yeah. yeah. By way of context, Sarah, you met AJ in Toronto. I did. What year? Oh, that's not how I think. I don't think in years. <laughs> we met quite a few years ago in Toronto. <laughs> she thinks in clothes. Many. <laughs> AJ many. was wearing pink. <laughs> Maybe 99. Yes, probably. 98, very close 99. To I was going to say about 15 years ago. Yeah. And then I met AJ you. AJ had very short hair. Very. You did? Spiky. Oh. Mm. I met you in 2003. I met you the same time I met AJ. As opposed to the time you heard her speak but didn't meet her. Well, yeah, I met her in... Well, I didn't meet her. I heard her speak in 2002. Yes. And then we spoke before I ever spoke to AJ. Wow, I'm, I'm so happy to be the link to AJ here. <laughs> the bridge. And then, Ben, when did you arrive in Toronto? I came in 2007, March 2007. You were late. Tell everybody what you do in Toronto, because you've been there since you arrived. That's the other thing we all have in common. We all arrived and never left. Well, except that we did. Except we live in America. <laughs> and I didn't arrive. You were born you in were. Toronto. I was born in Toronto. I Just was, face it, that is I was a common. local. That isn't a common. But, well, I guess we never returned back to our homeland. That's true. That's what I meant. And I'm from Mars, so I'm the same. <laughs> Tell us what you do at Toronto, because you all work at the church, formerly known as Toronto Airport Christian Fellowship now known as Catch a Fire Toronto, what do you do there? Correction. It was formerly known as the Toronto Airport Vineyard Christian Fellowship, which then became the Toronto Airport Christian Fellowship, which is now known as Catch the Fire. I stand corrected. Thank you. Tell us what you do at the church. <laughs> <laughs> well, I work um, with the School of Ministry as the assistant director, um, which means I get to pastor lots of the students and also do lots of operational management stuff and generally be involved in the transformation that happens there. I am one of five or so ministry directors, so I kind of oversee a bunch of areas like um, events and media and communications and all of that kind of You're thing. kind of like gifted, Ben, in terms of that you're Thank on you. the one side a creative genius and on the other side, an operational genius. 
Wow. Well, you don't normally, you usually find people are at one end of that extreme. Yeah. And you manage to live in both camps. Yeah. On Mark Verkler's test, I was like bang in the middle of left brain, right brain. Doesn't surprise He didn't invent that test, but he He popularized it in our circles. Yeah. And Sarah, when I first met you, you you were this uh, intimidating is the wrong word because there was nothing about you that was intimidating. There was nothing that you did that emanated intimidation, but you were so confident in who you were, so authoritative in what God said about you that you were just this born leader, wouldn't you say, babe? Yes, basically all the single men wouldn't dare approach. (laughs) Well, I don't think it was just single men, but there was that whole other factor. But what? how did you end up like that? And is that the way you saw yourself? Ooh, deep question. I I forgot you were a contemplator. I, I should have sent you these questions two weeks ago. <laughs> so true. I'll edit out the pauses. <laughs> yes, Ben Ben likes the on-the-fly on the fly ones. How did I end up there? I think I think probably the most pivotal moment was was going to the school of ministry. I that's how I got to Toronto. I um, came to Toronto from England in 1998 to do the school. Um, obviously, I'd grown up with a really fantastic family, Christian family, who, you know, they're amazing, my parents. They are amazing. We can all testify to the amazingness of David and Faith. Yes, yes. amazing. They, they, so they laid a good foundation in. And I think coming to do the school just kind of opened up my heart, my eyes to who God is and what he said about me and gave me ways to live that out practically. I have a question for you. Yes. So you had an amazing upbringing. You had great Christian parents. You knew about the love of God. What made you want to come to the school in Toronto? Because I was really hungry to know God for real for me. And what I'd experienced wasn't enough, good though it may have been. That foundation wasn't perfect. I had loads of emotions in a washing machine around inside me, which I had no clue about. Well, at that point, I probably wasn't really in touch with them, to be honest. I, mm, in some ways, I was, I was really coming to get tools to help those broken people out there. Because, of course, I was so perfect. <laughs> because you didn't realize you were one of them. <laughs> yes, then, yes, the, really, that was the pivotal moment. The other thing that three of us in this room have in common is we all did the same school. So we have a shared knowledge of what the school is like, and we understand the process. And, of course, AJ's taught in the school and has ministered at the school. But for people who've never been to the school in Toronto that we love so dearly, and of which our school is based on, of course, what was the most impacting thing that happened there? Talk to us about your journey of transformation. I think from from the, right from the start, the thing that really stood out to me was just the incredible presence of the Holy Spirit that was was there that infuses kind of everything, all the core values, um, hearing God's voice. I mean, that rocked my world. I was like, really? You can ask God questions and hear from Him? And that changes everything. <laughs> that, ladies and gentlemen, was AJ's tummy crying for help. It's a little cheesecake in her tummy. Somebody was stepping on a tiny whale. <laughs> I, th- I thought there was a little puppy trapped somewhere in a closet. Back to Sarah and her incredible revelation of hearing God's voice. <laughs> um, hearing God's voice, knowing that I could hear from him, not in a once in a blue moon thing, but as a reality. 
um, the Father's love, just wow, he loves me, breaking free of shame, all that sort of stuff. I, I mean, I spent five months getting drunk in the Holy Spirit. Was that a new experience for you? No, I'd experienced it in, in the church I came from before I came to Toronto, but not as intensely and as frequently. And for people who might not be familiar with the concept of being drunk in the Holy Spirit, what does that look like? That, what did it look like for you? What it, uh, what it looked like for me would be just being overwhelmed with the presence of God that moves from a state of my busy consciousness to a place where my whole being feels infused with peace um, to, to really where I'm just overwhelmed by his presence that I can barely speak, barely stand, I'm laughing and I'm experiencing him in a way that is just overwhelms all of my senses. I think the first couple times I saw you, you were in that sort of state. I remember observing you very intellectually. Hmm. Very interesting. Would that have been? She's one of those <laughs> that responds that way to the Holy Spirit. Yes. Hmm. But you're, for people who don't know you, you're a very intelligent, very articulate, very organized, very put together. You you know, you do come from a great home. You Your life could have looked very, very differently if you'd followed the normal English way of, you know, graduating high school, going to university, you know, following a pro- professional career. And you were known as your class drunk. I mean, for five months, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that as you absorbed the teaching, you were paralytic a lot of the time. It's true. <laughs> so what does that do to somebody who's highly intelligent and like... What? How did you, or did you not? Were you so overcome with the presence of God that you didn't have time to think about or rationalize any of it? Or was it just one big party? I think there was probably the, at the beginning was just this, this is a great party. But I, I think the thing that just was revelatory, amazing, new every day was I am experiencing God and his presence in a real way that, that I've never never felt before and i'm 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 a i want to experience life i want to experience relationship and this was finally a tangible way that i was experiencing relationships seeing visions hearing from him laughing sliding down the wall all those sorts of side things were were just a sort of side effect of being in his presence and I didn't really see the change it, it was bringing in me until afterwards, until in hindsight, when I began to see that really the very hard heart that I'd had was melted by love in those months. When I when I just thought, what, you know, what is God doing every time I get in worship, I get in his presence, I just get overwhelmed, become almost paralytic, I slide down the wall, I can't stand up. But it it kept me immersed in love. And it it started me on a on a journey of the places of broken brokenness inside me being healed, being met by Jesus instead of kept extremely protected by my walls, my defenses, my no, no, I'm fine, and really just started me into a journey of authentic life. It's amazing how good we get at rationalizing our pain away. Yes. I have a question. On a scale of one to 10, how thankful are you that video cameras didn't exist inside of cell phones during your school? 
excellent question. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, number one, I didn't have a cell phone on my school. I mean, this is a... This, this, I'm just saying if I had had one, I would be yeah. more than willing to post a video. So probably your thankfulness is up there. Uh, what you're hearing right now is my speechlessness <laughs> as, as, as it, it all unrolls behind my mind's eye. Yes, 10 being very thankful, deeply thankful, knowing knowing that the dear friend that you are and that the vigilance with which you would have made those videos, I, I, I am thankful. I believe we could still probably find a video, not that we will, of when you got drunk while emceeing at a major conference and fell off the front of the stage. Yes. And flashed everybody. And flashed. I wasn't going to say that, but yes. Do you mean when the guy caught me and almost pulled my top off yes, at that point. Yes, that, that yes, was a remarkable moment It for was. Yes. There's no wonder that Toronto has a terrible reputation. <laughs> <laughs> at least he caught her. She would have been like really hurt, but it wasn't the best of catches. We'll come to our reputation in a second. But first of all, Benjamin, tell us your story of how you ended up, what was life like before and what made you want to come to the school? And then what did God do in the school? Yeah, okay. Um, my life was a lot like Sarah's in the sense that my parents were pastors. They were very open to everything that was going on in Toronto, really excited about it. I um, I decided to come because I felt like I'd kind of reached a bit of a stagnant place in my life. And I was like, okay, I've got to get away. I need to kind of get refreshed. And um, so... I was basically trying to choose between Toronto and IHOP at the time and was trying to think, oh, where do I want to go? And so I was trying to make a decision about that and I thought, okay, I'm going to go get my heart healed up, endure that, and then I'm going to go to IHOP. But when I came to Toronto, I had no idea that even though I'd been somewhat immersed in you know, the values that Toronto carries and, and a lot of the Holy Spirit, just getting away from my family and all of those kind of dynamics that are at play when you live life in a kind of, you know, just everyday routine kind of a way. And so I got so wrecked by the Holy Spirit and I got so wrecked by the Father's love. That was massive for me. Okay, we all understand what that means. What is that? Try and explain that to somebody who doesn't understand what it means to be wrecked by the Father's love. Because the big challenge that we had when we would minister on the Father's love, people would be like, oh, what do you minister on? We're like, the Father's love. And they were like, why well, do you need to minister on that? Doesn't well, everyone duh. know that God loves them? Right. Yeah. So you obviously knew that God loved you. Yeah. What's what's the missing link between you know that God loves you and you got wrecked on the Father's love? Help explain that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's totally the the difference of a heart and head journey, isn't it? Like I'd in my head, I'd kind of known... Yeah, the Father loves me, loves me unconditionally, salvation is a gift and all of that kind of thing. But I think when I'd kind of started to get immersed into his presence, there was nothing I could feel except that love and except that unconditional love. And I I think what I mean by wrecked is it wrecks your perception of everything. It wrecks my perception of my worth. It wrecks my perception of what I'm going to do with my life. Because no longer do I need to prove anything. It wrecks my ability to even relate to people the way I had before. Because you also, in the process, you often start to get an understanding of how God also loves those other people. 
So it just totally sabotages your whole model for life. And um, yeah, it was just a weeping mess on the floor for a few days. And probably or a, a few, few months. months really. <laughs> and we met on your school because we taught on your school. Is that right? Yeah. And then we met you and thought you'd be perfect for Sarah. Thank you for setting that up. I appreciate it. You're welcome. I'm not sure how much we had in setting it up. We just asked pointed questions. Well, as you kind of said earlier, Sarah was in this role where she is um, incredibly capable, a leader, a teacher, but she's also like hot. And for me as like a single male, I was just like, it was what are you trying the, to do to oh, me? It was one of the like wonders of the world, how was. she was still single. It was, it was an enigma. Oh, it, and all the guys on the school would talk about it. Like right. in a very honoring way. Just right. like, <laughs> but everybody was, what is this? <laughs> but everybody was too scared to go near her. There was this yeah, force field. Exactly. And I alluded to earlier, and there was, of course, the force field of you're not worthy, all men. But there was also the force field that had nothing to do with her attractiveness, just her authority and cause. Mm-hmm. How was it that you managed to bypass the force field that surrounded Sarah? Like, why were you not intimidated? Like, from the outside, it didn't look like you were intimidated at all. I was asked to be a small group leader after my school, which is where they take on some interns to kind of help lead the next next batch of students. And um, so in the process, I was in the office with Sarah every day. And um, so that kind of... A- attractiveness thing really did start to ensnare me as it were and I was thinking man why is it that she's single oh I just don't get this and we got on great and I think I managed to make her laugh and I was like wow she's really fun she's you know an amazing woman and I wasn't really thinking much more beyond that because she felt totally out of reach but I had a few friends who were already married um including you guys, that when I kind of implied that I might be interested, they were like, you should totally go for it. And I was like, for real? You think I actually stand a chance? (laughs) I remember this one conversation with a friend who didn't want to say, ask her out. But he was kind of a bit like, you know, Ben, unless you shoot for the stars, you're never really going to hit anything. And I just feel like you're, you could be setting your sights too low. And, you know, there might be one particular star that feels out of reach, but you should really try. <laughs> it was very That's subtle hysterical. of them. Yes. I remember the first time I uh, knew who you were because <laughs> I'd already heard your name from no one in particular, but she might be sitting next to you. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it was like a Friday morning thing. And I think I was there to teach, but you were dancing because they were doing like a rave worship thing. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that guy can really dance. And so I went in the office and I was like, Sarah, you love dancing. You know, one of those guys can really dance. And she's like, I already know who it is. You know, kind of thing. And I was like, huh. Had Mm. you already been out to worship and then hobbled back into your cave of an office so you weren't caused to stumble by my sensual dance moves? I think that might have been it. (laughs) Most probably. (laughs) Moving on from sensual dance moves. (laughs) And rave worship. Rave isn't the right word. Let's talk about the controversies of revival at Toronto. I remember once AJ and I were teaching on a school in Toronto, and there was a young man from South Africa that in the middle of us sharing just howled, just screamed, just this core pain, scream, wail, got up and ran out. And we were like, uh, well, we keep teaching. And at the break, we spoke to him, and he said, you know, and I thought he summed this up brilliantly. He said, I came to Toronto because I wanted the signs, the wonders, the power. 
But when I got here, all I found was the love of God. And I thought I'd made a mistake, but now I realize I completely missed the point of revival. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that is one end of the spectrum. Like some people mistake the revival in Toronto and there are signs and there are wonders and there's incredible displays of God's power, but it's all rooted in the Father's love. That's one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is it's all demonic. Talk to me about some of the biggest misconceptions you've seen or heard about the revival in Toronto. Sarah's looking at me because my stomach's still making little tiny noises. I mean, like you say, people often kind of think about Toronto and it's the manifestations that catch people's attention. People even now say to me, and you know, we're 21 years on or whatever, and people often say, so do people still bark like dogs and all of that kind of thing? And I can say safely, in eight years of me being there, I've actually never seen anyone bark like dogs. I've seen plenty of people rolling around on the floor. But the way that John Arnott puts it, he says, you know, it's a wonder that the power of God can hit you and you're still alive. On the right. Floor, right. It's not surprising that you react to it, it's surprising that you live through it. Right, whether it's rolling on the floor, shaking, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think people often kind of want to target that, and you just think that is like the least, that is the smallest part of it. It's the smallest facet of what God's really doing. And and it's really just like a, I don't know, like a little ripple on the surface. When you throw a rock into a lake, you might see a ripple on the surface, but underneath there's a whole lot of water moving and there's a whole lot of stuff going on. And I think that's one of the unfortunate things is that people only see what's on the surface. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's so many things that there was controversy about in the beginning. Um, I think one of the things that really stood out to me was the number of people that I prayed for um, when I was um, part of the ministry team who would just be laughing and laughing and they would laugh out loud for, you know, a good 25 minutes, you know, long. It's it's hard to sustain that sort of laughter naturally. And afterwards, when I'd ask them what was going on, people would say things like, I have just had this bitterness and this hatred or this grief that I've carried for 20 years. And as God touched me, I just laughed and laughed and that thing is gone. That you know, that that place of pain, that place of anger. And and just seeing seeing someone being touched so visibly, but seeing that God was doing things really deep under the surface was a phenomenal, phenomenal thing to see. Do you guys have any favorite stories of miracles that you've seen, be that changed lives, like the story you were just talking about there, Sarah, or, you know, signs and wonders or, you know, miracles that stood out to you in your years in Toronto that you were like, God, I mean, God, you keep amazing me. There's There's been loads of healing miracles. And often at conferences, you know, people are getting healed of the most incredible, like painful things that have affected them for years and years and years. But often the things that get me most excited are kind of emotional baggage and bondage and like pain that is so deeply affected someone's identity and their entire perspective of life. And over the course of a few months in Toronto, like they shift, they change, and they visibly change. And um, and you know whether that's eating disorders or um, or demonic stuff or like there's so many things where people have get just incredibly changed, and um, that's what excites me the most. 
I can't necessarily think of a particular story though. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, there's so many. It's hard to hard to put your finger on one. I mean, one of the ones recently that's probably most dear to my heart is uh, a girl who who came actually onto our school, and she uh, first three months she was anorexic. She was, you know, she would just wear these huge black hoodies. She would stand in worship with her arms crossed, just angry wouldn't really speak to people, wouldn't speak in small group, was just resisting everything that was happening. And uh, one morning she just has this moment of every morning she would refuse to worship because she was just like, no, I don't feel these things, I don't think this. And she just has this like God thought where this just, I've said no to him every day. What will happen if I say yes? And in so she just decides like, well, I'll say yes to you. And in that moment, she just gets overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit. She falls to her knees, starts weeping and weeping, starts repenting. Um, you know, she has this revelation that really anorexia was rebellion against God. She weeps and she has thick, thick hair. She has to go and blow dry, dry her hair after this, just this encounter with the Holy Spirit with God. And the next morning when she woke up, she said it was the first morning in years and years where when she'd woken up, her first thought had not been, oh, I wish I was dead. And she was just like, I woke up and I, I felt good. She, and then later that afternoon, she was going to homeless shelter with a group of people. And the next morning she comes in and she's like, I ordered a latte. And I didn't even think about it. And the the sort of grip of anorexia that had been on her life was totally gone. Wow. And then over the next weeks and months, she she would just soak, which was just she'd lie down, listen to, you know, music, sit in God's presence. She just got visibly transformed into this thriving, life-filled girl. Just phenomenal. Wow. I love that. It makes I love that everything everything worth it that we've all had our lives changed by toronto by what god's doing in toronto it's incredible tell people how they can find more information about your school which we heartily endorse we i mean we love your school changed my life completely i wouldn't have met aj yeah i was gonna say it changed my life too because i ended up marrying a handsome scotsman as a result but it is incredible like i i don't know an epicenter of healing quite like Toronto, I just the culture, the environment, the whole place saturated in years of revival. It's incredible. So if someone's listening to this and they want to come to the School of Ministry in Toronto, what do they do next? Go onto our website, somtoronto.com. I will put a link in the show notes. As we wrap up, the reason Sarah is here this week is she's teaching on our school on dream interpretation. Sarah's a gifted teacher, gifted dream interpreter. And I've asked her if she would have a go interpreting your dreams. So if you are listening and you have had a dream that perhaps is a repetitive dream or you've had a dream recently, we're just thinking, I wonder if God's speaking to me this. Do us a favor, go to alanandaj.com slash dreams, fill in the form there, send us the dream. And next week, on next week's episode, Sarah is going to interpret dreams from our listeners and answer questions about dream interpretation. But guys, as we wrap up, what I would love is if you two would pray and bless our listeners with a revelation of the Father's love. All right, well, Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much that 
you and your arms can reach people all over around the world, wherever these listeners are. And Lord, we just ask that you would come right now and in people's homes or in their cars or wherever they are, that Lord, you would come and encounter them with your love, that they would be radically changed from the inside out, just as they experience the, the tangible presence of your love. Dad, your love changes everything, brings peace to our hearts. It brings, it brings rest from fear, from anxiety. Your, your love changes the very course of our lives. And Father, for those people right now who are struggling with anxiety and fear, would your love come in like a wave and just kick that fear right out of, out of their lives, out of their hearts. Father, where anxiety's had a place in their bodies, would you come and bring incredible freedom and just an overwhelming sense of security into their hearts? Dad, we, we invite you to come and root and ground every person who's listening in love that is deeper and wider than anything they've ever known before. Thank you, Dad. Amen. Well, lovely listeners, we are so glad you joined us. And remember to send in your dreams to be interpreted or your questions for next week. Otherwise, we shall see you anon.